Home Roll Show, where we discuss a team with a lot of sour cap room, your Washington Wizards. Hello everyone, this is Adam McGinnis, it is June 22nd, 2016, and summer, summer, summertime. <laughs> Happy summer everyone, I hope you're enjoying your barbecues, pool parties, outdoor music, some baseball, Music festivals, beach and camping trips. Uh, I've partaken in some of those activities and going to have a bunch planned over the next few months. But I have some great news uh, today to let everyone know. I finally have secured a sponsor that wants to advertise on the Pixel Roll Show. Woo! Yes! Party, party, party! Speaking of parties, uh, drink, chug, do everything. It's like when Nene hits both free throws. Uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, Sneakus, S-N-E-E-K-I-S, a DC Sports DMV-related apparel t-shirt company, has agreed to sponsor uh, this show. I'm super excited. I wear a lot of their clothes. Super nice dudes. They have t-shirts, hoodies, tanks, women, men, children, uh, wicked designs. Uh, I have a cool hat and a bunch of shirts that I've worn for a while. And the coolest part is that they're offering a discount code of 10%. So at checkout, if you type in Pixel and Roll, P-I-X-E-L-A-N-D-R-O-L-L, at checkout, you get 10% off your order. And they have some really cool Virginia design t-shirts for those that uh, that live in Virginia. But yes, I'm very excited and pumped. So Sneakus, S-N-E-E-K-I-S. Dot com. Check them out uh, and support the show. And uh, thank you, everyone. I'm super pumped. Uh, as for this episode, uh, me and Rashad get back into the saddle and we discuss some, some hoops. I know everyone wants to hear our thoughts on the NBA Finals, uh, the big trade of Derrick Rose that just happened. The Wizards do not have any picks, but we discussed the NBA draft, uh, the, what their options would be if they potentially buy into, what kind of players they would but would, uh, they would be looking at, uh, me and Rashad actually disagree a little bit on that one, uh, the Wizards Summer League schedule was released, we go over that a little bit, uh, what to expect, kind of preview it, uh, Scott Brooks has hired some coaches, me and Rashad have been wanting that news for a while, so we discuss uh, what to kind of make up of some of his hires so far, KD to DC is upon us, uh, the decision here is coming up in a couple weeks, or when it can officially be made, and whether or not uh, Kevin Durant will be playing in Washington, D.C. It does not look good, but uh, Rashad actually provides a little more positivity than, than I, have, I have had looking at the tea leaves recently. And we also go through some individual high-profile wizard, uh, some players for the Wizards of uh, free agent options. This is me and Rashad discussing some basketball. Enjoy. Rashad, it's been a while, dude. Uh, 
what what the hell's up, man? How are you, bro? I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm, I'm ready for the Olympics to start in two months. That's that's how devoid of sports my life is about to be. Yeah, now that now that the basketball is finally over, it's it's nothing but late night baseball. I'm waiting for the the Nats to start and uh, the Olympics, I guess. I mean, unless KD comes to DC in the next ten days, and then it's a whole nother ballgame. Okay, well, hey, 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 we, we just started the podcast. Just don't bear, just don't uh, get get to things too much on the script yet. But uh, but life life's going well with the fam. Anything, anything happening at the, at the household? Anything new? Uh, my my kid graduated from pre K last week. He's starting a new school next year. Uh, my oldest is getting transferred from. California to North Carolina. He's in the Marines, so that's good news. So, you know, just just your basic uh, married father stuff. Nothing exciting. Well, well cool. Well, uh, bef- before we get into, uh, well, happy off season, by the way. I-, I guess I don't know if it's happy or not, but the NBA season is upon us. The the the, the real season, it seems like, even has as much interest as the regular season. Uh, would be the. Uh, the free agency before, and the draft is coming up uh, tomorrow night. Uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday. The draft is Thursday. Uh, and before, and free agencies is coming around the corner here in a couple of weeks. Uh, summer league things are going to be a lot of a lot of hot takes, hot stove. Uh, July is going to be very eventful, especially for the Wizards. But there was some actual games that just ended, and holy sports narrative, Rashad. It's it's one of the things last last weekend where when you were doing your family things and I was going in and out of a drunken uh, stupor, uh, I was telling my friends uh, before you know after that game on the game six on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, I was like, hey, listen, this game on Sunday night, this game seven, it's it's going to be one of the most sports narrative takes uh, that I can remember in a long long time, especially when it comes from just from basketball. The way I looked at it, it was two outcomes here, Rashad. You had the Warriors win, you know, their struggles in the, the finals or whatever. They get they win two titles, uh, have MVP twice in a row, 73-win team. They have a dynasty upon us. The Cavs win. You have LeBron going back to Cleveland and winning, then beating a 73-win team, then winning a Game 7 on the road, coming back from 3-1 deficit, uh, and all those things that were legitimate, and lo and behold, uh, LeBron, LeBron did it, the Cavs did it, the, the, the drought is over in Believe Land. Uh, I was torn personally on who to root for. Uh, what was your thoughts on just the narrative as, as a, someone that appreciates an aficionado of sports journalism? Did you see the... Because the, the, sometimes, Rashad, I feel like narratives are forced. You know, hey, we're, we're in the pixel business. You know, you got to think of something interesting to say instead of, you know, the team made, had more points. They made more shots, but it seemed. And sometimes there's a very forced narrative after the fact. But this one had all the juicy ones uh, throughout this whole season, and I hadn't remembered a, a series in a long time that every game it seemed to switch every two games as much as this one really did. Well, I mean, it reminded me. First off, I thought that Golden State was battle tested because of the previous series against Oklahoma City when that went seven games, seven games, and so you know. They had this great momentum, and I mean, not to be a conspiracy theorist, but the momentum would have taken them to a championship had Draymond not been suspended. I mean, Draymond plays better at home. I think you just saw that 
the role players played better, and I think they had so much momentum. I think Cleveland was demoralized. I just I think that Golden State would have closed it out at home in Game Five, and you know, you tend to have this. I hear LeBron and the Cavs talk about how they put their game face on and they were ready and they didn't get themselves down. But the reality is they were playing a weakened team. No matter how you look at it, it was a weakened team without Draymond. And so that was the first narrative. I mean, once that happened, it switched. And to LeBron and Kyrie's credit, they took advantage of it. And so by the time it came along to game six, I was like, okay, now they're going to, I thought the Cavs were going to win again. I just didn't see how on the road Golden State was going to recover from that psychological loss and get back. And once we got into Game 7, I have no problem admitting I thought Golden State was going to win by a sizable amount. I mean, I remember telling my father, you know, I was trying to, like you said, I was trying to create a narrative by trying to psychoanalyze the look Steph Curry gave LeBron as he was leaving the floor after he got ejected. I was like, you know, that's, that's the eye of the tiger. He's going to come out and he's going to have that killer instinct. And he didn't. And to me, well, first off, I have to give a disclaimer. I have a lot of family in Cleveland. And, you know, like my dad was born in Cleveland. He remembers Jim Brown winning. And so I, you know, the, the sentimental part of me wanted Cleveland to win because I wanted my dad to see a championship. And I have lots of cousins and all that. But I got over that very quickly. The narrative... Obviously, it's LeBron bringing the title to Cleveland, but there's some other narratives that are just important, just as important to talk about. That's Kyrie arriving as a superstar, not just an all-star, but a superstar who can get his shot. I mean, as good as LeBron was on both ends of the floor, it was LeBron and Lou having the trust of Kyrie to take basically the game winner. He got his shot off by out Curry and Curry, which was pretty amazing. Number two, it's the total disappearance of Steph Curry. Uh, I give Clay a pass because he had so many big games throughout the playoffs. Steph Curry did not show up the way you want him to show up and hope, you know, in order to justify that, I hope he has like eight surgeries this in the off season so he can prove that he really was hurt. But he was just off. You could he he saw a little bit of that physical nature against Westbrook, but against Cleveland everybody was beating him up. He couldn't get any separation. He couldn't get his shot off. And he looked so frustrated that when he did take those shots that he normally takes, those 35, 40-footer, it just looked forced and it looked out of rhythm. And I think at during one uh, sideline reporting break, I think it was either Doris Burke or uh, Craig Sager asked if Steph Curry could take a bad shot. And Steve Kerr was like, yeah, he took some bad shots. And so I think that is kind of the, once you get past all the emotional LeBron winning it's going to be a referendum on Curry and, you know, are you, you know, how can you adjust to the physical play and, and all of that? So, as you said, it was a shifting narrative all throughout the playoff. What will be interesting is this is a copycat league. Now that every team has seen how you guard Golden State, how are people going to stock their rosters? What adjustments are going to be made? So that's that becomes the most entertaining aspect of the summer. Well, it seemed to be the first big shift was in Game 4. You had... You know, the Golden State goes up 2 nothing. go back to Cleveland. Cavs blow them out in Game 3. Cavs pretty much were in control of an entire Game 4 up. Fourth quarter comes, Kyrie and LeBron, 
looked tired, looked passive. Golden State pulls it away, and they go, they're ready to go at 3-1, and then you have the scuffle between Draymond and LeBron, you know, stepping over him. Draymond accidentally maybe punching him in the nuts, but, you know, with the reputation of Draymond, I feel like he had to be suspended. Uh, so you went from, okay, but still, they're up 3-1. They're going back. I mean, they're talking about, okay, who are they trading now, Kyrie or Love? I mean, that was pretty much the second or third storyline as the, as the Warriors are going up 3-1 with two games at home, 73-win team. No, I mean, they, no one has ever came back from a 3-1 deficit ever. The Cavs, Kevin Love had not played well at all through the season. You did not see that happen at all. So they come back to game five, and it still took uh, LeBron and Kyrie going for 40 uh, in game five. For, for them to win. It seemed to me that the other one that really switches out, you have Draymond come back in game six, and the Cavs pretty much controlled them from the jump. And the other one where I really felt like, oh my gosh, they have a chance to win, was when was when uh, LeBron, one was the dunk from the, I was like, what was that stupid-ass pass J.R. Smith made behind the back? And here comes LeBron like a freight train down the, down the middle of the lane for the dunk. And the other one was LeBron when he blocked Kyrie, or when he blocked, I'm sorry, when he blocked Steph out of bounds. And, you know, you can't talk shit to anyone's face anymore in the NBA. You got to talk kind of to the side. And LeBron did it. It was almost like LeBron's weirdness of all season that we've talked about, him subtweeting and, you know, his feeling, you know, going hang out with Dwayne Wade during the middle of the season, tweeting Da Vinci, you know, Da Vinci Code tweets and all that. It's, it's in like anger of him not being the best basketball player in the world. Uh, anymore, that that narrative has shifted to to you know two time MVP in Steph, but him just reminding everyone like, hey, I just put up some all time numbers. LeBron Beast Mode is still the best player on the face of planet Earth. And then what happens to what happens to Steph? He throws his mouthpiece in the in the in the stands and gets ejected. I was like, wow, I, I did not see that meltdown coming from the from the Golden State. You expect something like dumb like that from Draymond, but I did not see that. That at all uh, from Steph, I believe it was the first time he's ever got thrown out in, in his career as well. It didn't really matter the game was at hand, but what did you see? I just feel like the, the the Warriors that we'd seen all year, they finally lost their composure in a, in a critical moment of the not so much the game, but as the momentum swing as 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 we've been talking about here in this in this finals, which was it was weirdly a, a very epic finals, but a lot of blowouts. <laughs> It was a lot of blow. And, I, you know, I think that we saw a couple things. We saw, again, we saw it a little bit in the Oklahoma City, ser- City Series, but definitely in this Cleveland Series, that when you kind of stand up to Golden State Warriors and you're physical with them, it, it takes them out of their rhythm. And that's not something that a lot of teams have the personnel to do to defend and then to turn around and make them pay on the other end. And there was one series... Uh, Early in the first quarter, when someone hit a three for Golden State, and I remember Kyrie took the ball in bounds, went right down, got into his offense, and hit a shot right away. That's not something that a lot of teams can do against Golden State. Oklahoma City did it a little bit, but Cleveland did it a lot, particularly in games six and seven. So that kind of threw uh, Golden State off. The other thing that I saw Michael Wilbon talk about is, especially when Bogut got hurt, they had they couldn't get an easy basket. And... You know, Cleveland has LeBron, who can score inside and out, but there was nobody on the Golden State roster who they could throw it in the post to get a quick, easy basket, kind of slow down Cleveland, kind of establish a rhythm, or maybe to get Cleveland players to focus on someone internally 
to kick it back out to the perimeter to get an open shot. That just was not happening. And, you know, in game one, that player, ironically enough, was Sean Livingston. Sean Livingston was scoring in the post and in mid-range and kind of allowed Steph and and uh, Clay to kind of be forgotten. But there was nothing like that in game six and seven. And that lack of a post player, particularly when, again, to quote Wilbon, when your legs are tired, your nerves are bad, you need an easy basket, you need someone to throw it at you, and they just could not do that. And so, you know, I, I just think that if I'm a GM at Golden State, I'm wondering, on one hand, we beat everybody except Cleveland. Cleveland was on a mission. This is a great team. Do we really need to retool? Or what Cleveland did is going to be copied. Do we need to change our roster? And I think they're going to change the roster. I mean, you can tell by the players who they're allegedly going after from Dirk to Durant. They're looking for a big player who can play inside who can also shoot. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Another player in the X Factor I want to mention before we move on is Tristan Thompson, I thought was fantastic. You know, how much that maybe was helped with Boga going out, you know, helped a little bit, but his play especially in the last three games, of being able to to guard outside, to be able to switch, get rebounds, be the dirty guy, you know, love a little bit, play, played a little bit, rebound a little bit better, played some defense. I know he had a huge key uh, defensive stop uh, in, in game seven late. But, and that, I felt that J.R. Smith and some and some of the, and even Schrumper to a lesser extent, weren't as terrible as they were at the beginning of the series and really outplayed the Warriors bench at the end while, Clay and Curry faded from the limelight, and you did not see that from Kyrie or LeBron. You know, obviously the big shot that everyone will remember, the two plays I think they'll remember from the series in Game 7 was LeBron's block on Iwadala, who also was, was hampered with a, with a sore back, reports have, and, and also Kyrie's three that was in eventually the, the go-ahead play. Uh, is that how you kind of saw this series shake out in Cleveland's favor, aside from LeBron beast mode and Kyrie being uh, phenomenal and outplaying Steph Curry. Yeah, I did. I think there was a lack of a championship performance. I mean, I, I don't know if you're a boxing fan, but they called the last two rounds a championship round. And when it got to the championship rounds of this finals, Steph Curry, for whatever reason, just did not show up. There were no... There, was, there were no big quarters when it counted. I mean, I kept watching, thinking... Okay, if Steph gets hurt, I mean, if Steph gets hot, this is over. And if he had just been a little hot, it would have been over because you wouldn't have had. I mean, I think the one thing that games one and two showed is that when you get Cleveland behind by a certain amount, the offense isn't fluid. All of a sudden, it turns into hero ball by Kyrie and pressing by LeBron, and they, that's not a good look for them. But Cleveland was able to play in rhythm all game, and I think that. You know, again, I think Steph was hurt. I think he has too much pride to come out and say that he's hurt, particularly since they beat an injured Cleveland team last year. But there were just too many times when Tristan Thompson was able to stay in front of him. And, you know, I, I respect Tristan Thompson and his defensive prowess, but there's no way in hell he can stay in front of Steph Curry the way that he did. And I just think something was wrong. But, again, they lost, and that, that's, that's the bottom line. So... I'm very curious. I don't think that they'll make the finals again at all, ever. That's just me. Uh, so I'm very curious to see how they bounce back and who they get. Of course, if they get Durant or if they get uh, if they get Dirk, they're not a shoe-in to make it. But if they get Durant, then that changes everything. But right now, if they keep the team basically as is, even with Harrison Barnes, who I hope that God doesn't come to D.C. 
that team is not going to get back to the finals. And another remarkable item that I found <laughs> worth noting is just the reversal of the of the once again the narrative, but not so much the narrative. The reality of it is the is the, the the change in attention towards the Curry family, especially Steph Curry and Ash Curry. You go from Steph, everyone loved him, hitting threes, he's the man. He carried over all this year to now kind of acting like a brat, throwing his throwing his mouthpiece in the crowd. His antics of celebrating didn't. Everyone wasn't giving him a pass anymore. Then you have his wife tweeting all this, you know, random stuff and conspiracy things and deleting her Twitter, making up excuses. Uh, you know, last year you had the the, the kid, their cute baby uh, daughter, you know, underneath the press the press conference podium, and now this year you got the whole internet pissed off at both Currys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I don't know. I think that there was a little bit of Curry fatigue. Finally uh, set in. Finally, fi- finally, there's Warriors fatigue, right? I mean, not to me, but if you are, and your your best friend in the world, Tony Kornheiser, has been talking about this all week on his show. You can just see that Russell Westbrook and LeBron James just had a disdain for Curry. Westbrook probably thinks that he's better. LeBron probably thinks he's still the best player in the league, and you could just see the way they went at him, the way when he get the when it came to face-to-face confrontations the way they looked at him, that they just had a certain disdain for him. And I think that that's when you get a steady diet, two-year diet of Curry's this, Curry's that, he's the best, he's the best ever, unanimous MVP, you just get sick of it as a player, as you should. And, you know, when Hakeem Olajuwon was tired of David Robinson and all the accolades, he, you know, he got that in 94 or 95, he went out and torched him. In the East and the Western Conference Finals, and I think that Westbrook and LeBron, in addition to wanting to win a championship, they just looked at Curry and was like, "This guy," and they, they just went at him, and that just led to a just just a backlash. And so I don't, you know, I I don't think that Curry he didn't change anything, and I don't think that's fair to him. But that's that's just how it is, and I'm sure there's a deeper meaning to it that we can explore on a different podcast. But we have. We have winners things to get into now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You well, I want to go into the, the the Mrs. Curry angle. Uh, Mrs. Mobley, I know, is on Twitter. Uh, I, I like her personally. Very, very funny. A lot of a lot of Bachelor and Bachelorette tweets. If you're in a similar situation, do you, do you tell her to, uh, to to cut the Twitter off? Without sounding like a sexist pig. <laughs> like Stephen A. Smith. I Fuck think- him, by the way. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> I mean, I, I just. I mean, we're married, and so part of us being married is her knowing me and knowing my reaction to things, and she knows that I'm a very private, kind of low-key person, and so for her to blow that and to get on Twitter and start talking a bunch of shit is grounds for dismissal. So, I don't <laughs> think that she would do that. That, that. that wouldn't be an issue for me. Um, and that's not me trying to shut her down or me trying to silence her. I just think that my persona and my career should be driven by what I choose to do or say, not all of a sudden I'm dragged into something that, you know, because of what she said. And I just think that's a very delicate balance to strike. It's not about wanting to control your wife or your spouse. It's just you want to control the narrative and the amount of shit that comes at you. I remember uh, just when you look at golfers sometimes, the razor-sharp focus they need to have, they can have little distractions. And the golfers who are 
the best and the most successful are the ones who can block out distractions and just kind of build their life in such a way so that they're just focusing on golf only. And it's the same way with sports. You remember Kurt Warner's wife, how annoying she was when she was talking oh, all this God. shit about what yes. Kurt should do. You know, that's or uh, Doug Christie's wife. You just don't want the player to be upstaged by someone who doesn't even set foot on the court. Didn't, didn't Christie no. used to wipe his face on his free throw line for her or something? Something really weird. Something like that. Like, yeah, I, I felt like a lot of the shit that she was given, a lot of it was uh, granted by the high profileness of, you know, like, hey, you're a brand, you're out there, you can't just talk about, and when everything's going great, you want everyone to listen, when things go bad, you can't just be like, no, you know, you got to take both sides of it, especially when, you know, she has a cooking show and everyone likes her. Uh, I felt like some of her behavior was, you know, I think she regrets a lot of it, especially. But then some of the shit that she was given, some of it was justified, a lot of it was just over the top. And I, I guess that's like anything with Twitter. There's no chill whatsoever. But big trades here today. Let's, let's, let's go on. Uh, the finals are over. They're over. Congratulations, I guess, to Cleveland. I don't even want to go into the whole Wizards angle. I'm not that happy for Cleveland uh, at all. Me either. I, I'm not that happy for Cleveland. I didn't really root against them. I didn't really root for them. I was, I was kind of torn. Uh, I was over Draymond Green and the Warriors, so it was really hard for me. But Ty Lue uh, went to the University of Nebraska. I grew up in Nebraska, so I, I was happy for him. So, and I hate Dan Gilbert, and I hate the Warriors owner. So a lot of people I hated, so it was really hard to root for somebody. I just wanted kind of a compelling series. Uh, we kind of got that. We had more of a comp- you know, more of an interesting narrative how it shook out than we did maybe awesome basketball. Uh, bits and pieces. Even though I, I felt the Game 7 was a very compelling drama, especially all the way up to the end. Now, Rashad, big trades here today. Uh, two of them. Let's start with the, the blockbuster, I guess, in the sense of the prestige of a former NBA MVP being traded from his hometown. Derrick Rose was, was shipped to the Knicks. Uh, with Justin Holiday in a second-round pick in the 2017 draft to New York for Robin Lopez, Jose Calderon, and Jerry Grant, who is a local kid from DeMatha, uh, son of Harvey Grant, former former Bullet. Your immediate thoughts when you saw this trade? I was a little shocked. Um, I did not think that Derrick Rose... I knew that the, the Rose Butler situation wasn't working, but I thought that they were going to give it another run, um, another go at it. And so I was, I was a little shocked to see him traded. I don't know. It's funny. One of our colleagues, Nick, who writes for Bullets Forever, um, put this graphic up of basketball reference comparing. Uh, Derrick Rose's numbers last year to Jordan Crawford's numbers in 2012, 2013. Yes. And they were just, they were eerily similar. And it's like, you don't want to believe that Derrick Rose is reduced to playing like Steve's, but at the same time, you can't, you can't really, you can't really base a lot on Derrick Rose's season last year because I felt like, number one, he was playing not to get hurt again. And number two, he was still filling out his powers to see what he could or could not do. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it's it's a it's a healthy gamble for uh, that's kind of oxymoron. It's a gamble for the Knicks, but they have arguably one of the best players to play with Carmelo. They have Porzingis. There's it just it continues the momentum for them, and that's good. I just wonder how they're going to react the first time he gets hurt. 
you know, what are they going to do? He gets hurt. Carmelo gets hurt. Um, on the Bulls side, it's still incomplete. Um, I've been reading rumors and fake rumors that they still have another trade, some more moves to make. And so I think it's kind of incomplete. Um, I think somebody commented on Twitter that Jose, Derek Rose to Jose Calderon is a lateral move, which may very well be the case. Um, Jose Calderon is not a big scorer. Not the best defender on anyone except John Wall. But he knows how to run a team. He gets people in their places, and so he's a good, serviceable point guard. Um, but and Brook Lopez is a big man that they, Ruben, they Robin, just don't Robin, have. Robin Lopez. Robin. Okay. Yes. It's a big man that, you know, he's again he's not Paul Gasol, but he's he's serviceable. So for the Bulls part, it's incomplete. For the Knicks, I mean, I I like the trade, but again, it's like with Nene here in D.C. If he stays healthy, it's a great thing. But if not, then you really haven't done anything. What, what were your thoughts on the trade? I, I felt the first one was it's finally officially Jimmy Butler's team. It it it, it, it finally arrived, and we've been hearing rumblings of, you know, I think some of the relationship. I listened to a guy that was close, uh, beat reporter. I think his name's Vincent. Uh, he used to write for write for the he used to cover the Pistons. Now he covers, I think, for Comcast uh, for for Chicago. Yeah. And he was—he mm-hmm. he basically said that the Rose and Butler's relationship was a lot better than people uh, than was perceived, and that that Butler rubbed some other players the wrong way. And Rose's Rose's personalities kind of defers in a way. But Jimmy Butler did not want to defer. He wanted to be the man, and and I I think as long as Derrick Rose is in that locker room, uh, he wasn't going to be that for him. Now, where does this do with John? You know, Paxson and Hurd running running off Tibbs and. You know, Fred Hoiberg's season was obviously a disappointing one. Noah's leaving. We'll get to Noah potentially as an option for the Wizards. Is this this probably puts the, officially the end of the Noah era in Chicago. I, th- I think once you get over the emotional aspect of it from Chicago, you know, trading away Derrick Rose, hometown boy, and looking from a purely basketball standpoint, I think it's a good move for Chicago. Lopez is on a good contract. Uh, Grant's a young player. You got rid of Rose and his salary, didn't really have to give up really that much, aside from a second-round pick and Justin Holiday. I think it's going to end up being a plus for Chicago. New York, maybe. I, I, I don't know. I mean, if Rose plays really well, then he's a free agent, and then he probably leaves, maybe. Right? I, I, I just I don't see that working with, with Carmelo. And I just I just think Derrick Rose is, is done. I, I don't know about done. I, I don't think he's ever going to get back to the MVP level that we saw him, especially finishing around the rim. His jumper still is broken. Never was great to begin with. Uh, someone was trying to say, I guess he played a little bit better at the end of the season last year than he did at the beginning. I, I just, once you get away from his names being Derrick Rose, and you know, it pains me to say this, we saw this with Gilbert Arenas. We saw that the Gil was not the Gil we wanted him to be, uh, especially at the end of his Wizards tenure. Uh, and you know Orlando and and Memphis where he where he played he just wasn't that that agent zero guy that we want him to be anymore he still was in the name and what he looked like but that game of him was gone and was probably never going to come back and I just don't I have doubts that the Derrick Rose that we saw at MVP level and not even maybe MVP like 80 percent of MVP because uh, he's not really that a pass first point guard he kind of needs to make plays and use his explosiveness especially on the rim to finish. And I just don't, I don't see that coming back, and I don't see you being a successful NBA team with him being your one or two option. So in that sense, maybe it's a lateral move. I don't know. 
I don't see it, but I don't, you know, again, I think this season. We have seen it before, right? So I guess you, we're not We have to seen it, it, and there were flashes last year against the Bulls, against um, against uh, Oklahoma City, against the Cavs, where he did show that explosiveness. He, and he showed an excellent ability to get to the rim. And so I'm not going to count him out yet. Um, particularly now, he's going to have, unlike in Chicago, he's going to have talent that can score, like Carmelo can score. He's going to have threats on the outside with Porzingis and Carmelo, and so I don't think that he's going to be asked to do as much. And I think he's going to find himself with with open lane. So I'm not I'm not willing to count him out yet. He's healthy. He's as healthy as he's been since he got injured, and so I think there's a possibility that he can have a strong start. But this notion that Jimmy Butler has shown enough leadership that it can be his team is very suspect to me. Um, I didn't. I just didn't see any leadership qualities. He was a leader in a team concept when there were other players like Noah and Gasol and Rose. There were a lot of players there. He distinguished himself for what he did on the defensive end and kind of developing a more consistent offensive game. I don't know how the hell that translates into is my team. Like he just doesn't have that game where, when, you know, the game is on the line in the fourth quarter, you're gonna think, oh yeah, we're just gonna give it to Jimmy. He's gonna win it for us. I, I've never seen that out of him on a consistent basis and I just I think that's a very risky move to say hey it's your team at least Derek Rose he may not have the athletic pedigree anymore but he knows how to lead a team because he's done it I, I don't I just don't have faith that Jimmy Butler can be the leader of a playoff team the the other the other big trade today was the Atlanta Hawks uh, traded uh, Jeff Teague to the Indiana Pacers uh, and the Pacers traded George Hill to the Utah Jazz, and the Utah Jazz traded the 12th pick in tomorrow's draft to the Atlanta Hawks. Your initial thoughts of this? I I don't. George Hill, Jeff Teague, both going to be free agents, or maybe George Hill has another year in his contract. I know Jeff Teague only has one. It seemed like the Hawks wanted to go to Dennis Schroeder, their backup. And that Jeff Teague wasn't in their long-term plans. We had heard trade rumors of him around the trade deadline uh, earlier this last season. And Utah needed a point guard, even though they had you know our, our old man Shelvin Mack, who filled in you know avidly for them. They were they had lost Dante Exum, their high pick from two years ago, uh, to an injury at the end of the beginning of the year. So he's coming back, and Trey Burke was more of an off guard uh, that they had. So I guess in that sense, maybe George Hill. You know, plays defense in Utah. I think wants to make the next jump. They barely missed the playoffs this year. If they were to be, you know, they had a chance to make it. So maybe they see George Hill. I, th- I think has always been kind of an underrated two-week player uh, in this league. Very solid. Jeff Teague was an All Star two years ago. He's been up or down uh, throughout his career. It seemed like. Your thoughts on this trade? Because it does tie into uh, the Wizards. And yes, we're about to talk about the Wizards. <laughs> I mean, I I think that. I think that Paul George is sitting in there thinking, okay, I got, I like this guy. You know, I, I think that T had an off year last year, but if you listen to him, he had injuries that he never was able to get over. Um, and I, unlike Rose, who I'm closer to wanting to give up on, I'm not willing to give up on Jeff T when he just wreaked havoc on the league two years ago when he was healthy. Um, he just, he got to where he won on the floor. He can get into the lane at will. And George Hill is a good defensive player. It's a spotty offensive play. It really wasn't consistent. And I think that, at the very least, at the end of games, Paul George does not have to bring the ball up because he's going to have a legitimate point guard 
who can get anywhere he wants. So I think that Paul George is happier. I mean, they still need a post player, but I that's the only way I looked at the trade. I think Paul George is happy. I really don't understand George here to Utah with Burke and Exum and Mac. It just doesn't seem like a good fit for him. Twelfth uh, pick in the draft for the Hawks. I mean, that who knows what that what's that going to do? So I I think that this trade was primarily done so that Paul George has someone else to run with as Indiana continues to build back into a contender. Well, that leads us into a team that had the 13th pick in the draft until they traded it at uh, the deadline for Marquise Morris to the Phoenix Suns. There has been This trade has now highlighted this, this debate that is going on in Washington Wizards circles about whether or not the Wizards should have made that trade for Marquise Morris since the Wizards have no picks in tomorrow's draft. Uh, we'll get to that, and hopefully uh, they might have one. Kyle uh, Weedai, uh, our, our good friend and uh, the boss man of Truth About It, had a piece up today where he goes through past drafts of the Wizards, analyzes this trade, says that the Wizards trade for Markeith Morris is a better deal than a one-year rental since they'll have Markeith Morris for two, two and a half years uh, on, on a decent contract. And it kind of highlights that the Wizards maybe made a good deal here this offseason, even though this has been a disputed, uh, and I see both sides of it, disputed topic amongst them. Where do you fall on this, uh, Rashad, in the sense of, was it a good move still? Are we still debating this whether or not it's a good move? Uh, this draft looks a little weaker, so I understand. But also having no picks in the draft, once again, is a bummer. <laughs> It's a bummer, but I mean, let's 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 be honest. If Aaron White, your guy, yes, former Hawkeye, if he come, if he comes to, if he makes the team, and makes a difference, that's the equivalent of a second round pick this year. Or if Thomas Sadoransky, uh, if he comes and he makes the team, and he has an impact, what you basically have is a super first-round pick in Markeith Morris and two players who are arguably better than some of the first-rounders, but they're a cut above, that makes getting a second-round draft pick irrelevant in my in my eyes. Like, if you get two players who have been playing overseas and then you get, you have Markeith Morris who, he's not an all-star, but he's an above-average player, and hopefully you have a coach who's actually going to play Ubre. That's 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 enough. That's I don't need a draft pick unless, and this is a big if, unless this scouting department has a player that they've been targeting all this time, who they had their eye on, who they know without a shadow of a doubt is going to be a good for this team, and they're waiting for that person. Then I say go after them and they do what you have to do to get a pick. But you have three players: one who didn't get enough run, two who played overseas for coming. How many teams can say that? How many teams that are in the draft right now can say they have two players coming with just a little bit of experience? Not a lot of teams can say that. So I'm on the side that I don't try to get a second-round pick. Don't make any deals. Just just sit and relax and focus on getting some veteran players to go with Wall and Beal and, and, and the rest. So that's that's my opinion. I, I just think that. With Sadoransky and White and Ubre, who was underused, you have the equivalent of draft picks. And with Markeith Morris, you've got a player who's better right now than every player in the draft because he knows how to play and he's come up big for you. Yeah, he may get in trouble every now and then, but for the most part, he's a good player. And so 
I don't understand why it's so important for them to get a pick of a player that's got another crapshoot. Now, what do, what do you feel about the Wizards buying into this draft? I mean, the Boston Celtics have sec- have eight second-round picks. Uh, Ted Leonsis, when I interviewed him a couple weeks ago, I brought this up to him, uh, this possibility. He said, yes, that that is an option. I don't know if he was just... You know, confirmation of what I was what I was saying to get out of the question. You know, all our options are open. Kind of answer that he gave me, but I I do feel like something they're exploring in the sense of their behavior. I mean, they have no picks in this draft. They worked out. I'm not going to go through all the names because most of these people are going to read this. I mean, <laughs> read this. Most people are going to listen to this podcast. You know, they'll all either have done this or not. And the player who we know will have another podcast and analyze it. So there's no real reason to go through all this because I don't want to date the podcast too much. But I just want to highlight that the Wizards did do their due diligence. They went to the pre-draft camp. I have a list of about 19 names that Comcast reported uh, that they that they uh, that they interviewed uh, previously. They have done these workouts privately, which have been off the record. We do not get press releases with them. They're not technically off the record since they have no picks. They don't really have to invite the press or them to make him official. I don't know how that's all how that all shakes out, but word has leaked through a few wizard sources of who these, some of these players are. Uh, they did interview and work out Robert Carter of Maryland, uh, another player they worked out that they also interviewed was Kyle Whit- Whitger of Gonzaga. I'm just gonna highlight those two players because those are two players they interviewed in Chicago and they brought in for a workout. Uh, also, M- Malcolm Brogdon of Virginia as uh, another option. What you know? Aside from going into specific players, how much should we put in the stock of the Wizards potentially uh, maybe buying a pick here, or is that something that I'm just uh, hopefully being real too optimistic? And 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 so I'm, am I reading too much into these workouts or who they're bringing in, or or does does our man Ernie Grenfell have something up to sleeve here? No, I mean, you have to do your due diligence if you are in the draft. You have to at least look at players. You have to see if you see something that sticks out in their game that you feel can be a good addition for the team, particularly when the roster is as gutted as the Wizards is. I just, I'm basing this on past experience. And on past experience, when's the last time you saw the Wizards target a player that they said, we really had our eye on this guy, we really like him, we're taking him, and we hope that he can contribute for us? I just don't see that being the case. And so I just to buy into the draft just because you can or just because you're helping out a team who has a plethora of picks doesn't just doesn't seem like a smart move this year. Because like I said before, you have two young players already coming in. I just I just don't think you need to do that. You need to be building a roster of, you know, young established players already for this year. Um, and again, I, I, I think I'm in the minority based on what I've been reading. Everybody wants the Wizards to get into the draft, but I mean, what, what is that draft, aside from the picks that have fallen into the Wizards' lap, what has that really gotten the Wizards? It hasn't gotten them a whole lot. Do you, so, I, 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 I feel I think, like this. Do you, you're coming from the standpoint of why buy, a four, why buy the 45th or 50th pick when the player you probably want is going to be there at six after the draft's over, right? Like, like if you really want a guy, he's probably going to be there the, the difference between someone at 50 and somebody that you can get for a free agent after the draft, I don't know how th- those are going to be negligibly, negligible differences, correct? Is, well, is that how you feel? I mean, they're going to get some free agents to come in to the summer league, right? I mean, that's definitely what's going to happen, but... 
Oh, yeah, you got to do that. But like as Kyle said, I mean, at this point, a lot of agents prefer their players not to get drafted so they can hand they can handpick the team they want to go to and they feel like they can have the most effectiveness with them. So, yeah, why, why not go that route? I mean, I just don't. And we I, might I we might see a second we might see a second round where it's just all Euro stashes too. We might see more Euro stashes than we've ever seen with the amount of picks that Sixers have and Boston has, and I think it's Denver. I forget what other team has like five second round picks. I think you may see that in the first round. Yeah, that too, right? In <laughs> uh, <laughs> a bunch man. of them. But what, what, what about what type of players would you like to see the Wizards get? I mean, the ones that you know, I'll highlight Jay Michael, uh, our good friend there at Comcast. I uh, say the satire, but I don't mind him. I don't mean Jay Michael. Uh, he he mentioned uh, point guard from o- from Michigan, K K Felder from Oakland, Michigan, uh, a shooting guard Patrick McQuaff from UNLV, Robert Carter, the Maryland guy that I mentioned earlier, and Malcolm Brodson from Virginia is four potential players that the Wizards, if they got in the draft, would get. That is a point guard to shoot in two shooting guards and a 3-4 kind of guy. Do you see, for this roster makeup, I know there's probably room for everyone. Is there a certain one that stands out if the Wizards would get in? Uh, more so not what individual player, because this don't lie and say we've watched this much college basketball, but uh, what type of player would you see if the Wizards were to get into this draft, would you like to see them grab to nab? Uh, two type of players. I mean, I don't I don't like young point guards. I, I think a, a backup point guard should be somebody established like uh, Sean Livingston or someone like that. So Especially with Sadoransky coming in too, right? Right, right. I think they need a shooter. They need uh, somebody who can shoot from three from the outside, a legitimate shooter. And I think they need an athlete who can play the three, four, five. Well, no, three, four. They need an athlete. How many times have we said this team is not athletic enough? This team doesn't have anyone who can guard athletes on the other team. So I want an athlete, and you can get those undrafted free agents. You You can do that. And I think we need a shooter because that's, I mean, despite Golden State's faltering at the end, you can never have enough shooters, which is why, if I can go on a little mini tangent, I don't understand why Buddy Hill is not going to be the third pick. I don't understand why the Celtics are trying to give it away when you can get a shooter. You just don't, you don't pass on a guy who averaged 25 points as a senior in college and who could have left and stayed in college and he averaged 25 points, and who can shoot. Like, he could shoot in college when the focus was on him. You bring him on a professional team where the focus won't be on him as much, and I just think that he's being criminally slept on. I would love for the Wizards to get him, but there's no way, there's no chance in hell that that's going to happen. So the Wizards need to get someone who can shoot, someone who has shown the ability to get the shot off and to hit open shots, and they need athletes. Why am I pausing the show? That's right. I have to sell an ad. Yes, advertisement. I have my first sponsor, Sneakus, a DC Sports DMV apparel company online. S-N-E-E-K-I-S dot com. Wicked cool t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops for women, men, and children. They have a nice little onesie that I was going to buy one of my buddies. Uh, sorry, Matt, if I'm spoiling it for you, but I, I've wore a, a t-shirt uh, with the flag for a while to for Nats games for years and people always come up to me and ask me where I got it. I just wore a hat last my hat last weekend. It's on my Twitter account uh, to a barbecue. Got many compliments. And the coolest part is that they're offering 
uh, a discount code for all my listeners of my show. So they get 10% off when you check out, when you use Pixel Enroll, P-I-X-E-L-A-N-D-R-O-L-L at checkout. It helps the show, helps me keep the bills, pay the servers, keep this going. And, and it's a really cool company. Uh, they're, they're privately owned, a couple brothers. And it'd be awesome if you support them and support me as well. So uh, back back to the show. And oh, yeah, by the way, uh, write me some iTunes reviews uh, so I can beat uh, Tony Kornheiser's podcast because uh, I hate him, even though Rashad continually mentions him on the show, him and Wilbon, which I do not like either of them. So uh, this is the rest of my conversation. Go to sneakers.com and thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. To leave the draft talk, and I know people are going to be crushed, but well, next time we talk, we'll have we'll know the answer to this. To more pressing, uh, I wouldn't say pressing, more Important or equally important is Scott Brooks, the new Wizards coach, has finally hired hired some coaching. He's finally filling out his staff here, Rashad. I know this has been a main topic of me and me and yours uh, offline and in person. We've mentioned who the hell is it. When's he going to hire staff? When are we going to know? I was I was down uh, two weeks ago. I was uh, walking outside the Verizon Center out on my way uh, to get on the Metro to go to the Nats game uh, to meet some friends. And, and I look over, and there's a Wizards employee, and I swear to God that was Sidney Lowe with him. And he didn't see me. I know the guy. And he didn't see me. And I was like, I even tweeted it out later. But lo and behold, it looked like the Wizards have hired Sidney Lowe, former coach, uh, NC State, uh, former NC State player, bouncing around the league. I think he was with the T-Wolves at last. Uh, but their lead assistant is going to be the former Nets coach at the end of the season who filled in after they fired Lionel Hollins, uh, Tony Brown, to be Scott Brooks's lead assistant. And another one is Chad Ishke, who is a George Carl disciple who has been with George Carl a few stops. Your initial thoughts on these uh, individual hires, Rashad, because I know this has been an uh, important aspect uh, of a wizard of a wizard thing that has been overlooked uh, and you know naturally overlooked because most of the time it doesn't seem that important. But as we have seen this past year with the staff, that you know the wizard staff was not that good. It's hard to tell. I should I shouldn't say not that good. It wasn't as good as SAS Pass, and I think that hurt them at times, and it didn't have the reputation. Uh, that it wasn't as respected around the league uh, that it needed. And I feel like these three coaches are, do have those characteristics that were maybe missing uh, this past season. Yeah, we need to develop some metrics for what makes a good assistant coach. Like, what, yes, right. what do we look at? I mean, when, when I look at Tony Brown's resume, I am impressed that he worked with Rick Car- Carlisle and helped him be more metric-centered. And I'm, I'm impressed that he is an analytics guy. Um He's a black guy who's an analytics guy. Wilbon clearly didn't hear about him. <laughs> so I'm, impre- I'm impressed with that. That's very important because Brooks is also that guy, and I think that'll help him. That That's just that's the trend of the league right now. But the other, you know, Sidney Lowe never has impressed me. I mean, I, I don't – that's why I jokingly asked about the metrics. I mean, he's had – he was terrible as a coach. Yes. But as an assistant coach, what is it about him – what head coach is vouching for him? You know, did did Flip before he passed ever say anything positive about Sidney Lowe, to Sam Mitchell, which you almost have to throw out, say anything? You know, I just I don't know about Iski and, and Lowe. Um, well, maybe Milt Newton, but, Milt Newton connection, former Wizard front office. I know he was at T Wolves. Maybe he's well. That's borderline there. nepotism, though. That's not. That's oh not whoa! What do you mean, the Wizards, man? We we, we fuel on nepotism. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, I. When I look at, say, 
Oklahoma City's current assistant coaches, and I see Anthony Grant, and I see Mo Cheeks, that's that's credibility right there. You have a coach uh, who just got out of college, just got out of coaching college, and Anthony Grant, and then you have Mo Cheeks, who wasn't the greatest head coach, but relates with players and particularly relates with guards. I don't know what the pedigree of uh, Sidney Lowe and Iskey and oh, just those two are. So well. We'll see, and sadly, it's not like we can interview them at any point to talk to them. So, you know, we'll we'll see how they interact with players. We'll see the kind of comments that are coming out of training camp. But right now, I can't I can't get excited. I mean, Tony Brown, I can get excited about, but the other two, it's like, okay, now 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 we know. But I I don't know what that means for. I don't know the effect they're going to have on the players. It's not like a Sam Cassell who you know instantly is going to have an effect on the players. So it's just kind of a wait and see. That's true. It was released uh, the other day that the Wizards Summer League schedule, they will be playing uh, the Utah Jazz on July 9th. On Sunday, Saturday, July 9th, Sunday uh, the 10th, they'll be playing the Atlanta Hawks. And Tuesday, uh, July 12th, they will be playing Brooklyn. I know Kyle and uh, Adam Rubin will be out there. I will not. Uh, we have confirmed playing for the Wizards. Ubre. Uh, Aaron White and uh, Eddie, uh, who has been confirmed to play for some weird contract reasons, he can still play. Uh, any thoughts on summer league? Anything you're looking forward to? Ubre, Terrell well, Eddie, Terrell Eddie, you know he'll. Uh, well, I won't say anything mean. I don't yeah. care about him. <laughs> what, what I would like to see, what I would like to see, is the same thing. I'm sure Aaron Brooks wants to see. Is you want to see. I don't care about what Uber and White do as individuals. I want to see chemistry between those two because that conceivably could be two-fifths of your bench. And so if he has any contact with them between now and Summer League, I want him, I would love for Scott Brooks to say, I want to see you play together. I want to see you all's chemistry because that is what can carry over to the regular season. If Uber puts up big numbers and White really isn't playing well, that's not saying much. I'd, I'd like to see, selfishly speaking, I'd like to see those two develop some chemistry because then when you come into the regular season, you can build on that. So, I mean, I know Ubre can score. I know he can dunk and look flashy. I know he can defend. But I'd, I'd like to see him play well with White. And, you know, who knows if White even has that level. Uh, I saw the interview he did with your boy, Jay Michael, and he talked about how his focus when playing overseas was getting his shot off and playing defense. So, you know, we'll be able to tell in the first couple games how he looks. But just if I'm Scott Brooks and as a fan, I want to see chemistry between those two. Kind of the way we saw chemistry between Porter and Glenn Rice Jr., but that really wasn't chemistry because Glenn Rice Jr. is a – well, he's not a great teammate and he's a selfish player. But I think that Oubre and – and Aaron White have different kind of games and they can mesh. And oh, they, can, coach, they can complement each other a lot better, for sure. Exactly, exactly. But that's what I thats what I want to see in some of these. You know, the notes of this uh, podcast, you, uh, for those wondering, I actually do. Uh, it seems like I don't uh, prepare, but yes, I do prepare for these shows. <laughs> I sent you the new Kelly. Oh, yeah, I can vouch for that. I got yes. a great agenda. Here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you have it to watch the 15-minute uh, uh Kelly Oubre, Life of Poppy video that I sent you? 
fifteen minus thirteen. <laughs> thirteen. That's minutes. about as far as I thought. I I, I I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't take it. I'm a forty wrong forty one year old man, Adam, and the music the music just pissing me off, and it just was like can't relate to the twenty year old dudes working out in the gym, going to the club. Could could relate hanging out I, the, hanging out the beach. I I cannot. It just it seemed very self serving, and I was like, what the hell is this shit? Go go to go to go to go to the end of the video. He go him and uh, he's hanging out with Stanley Johnson, uh, the Pistons rookie that he's like good friends with that went to uh, Arizona. You should go to the end of the video. They're at like a rock concert, a rap concert. I can't figure out what rapper it is because I can barely I can barely stand the whole video. I, I'm gonna ask him about it in person and give him my video advice since you know I happen to make videos of of what he's trying to do. Uh, it seems like he's just he's just having a good time with some friends, hanging out. I don't know why he thinks that's entertaining uh, at all. But, you know, hey, but going there was some basketball in there. It seemed like his workouts, he was working out pretty hard. His jumper looked pretty smooth. I don't know how many of those were game shots that he was taking, but he did look like that he was in pretty decent shape and that he was kind of working on different aspects of his game that hopefully he will showcase here in a... Uh, uh, next month down in Vegas. Uh, the other one I want to end on here, because I know you got to go, but we have to talk about uh, Mr. Kevin Durant is now officially, it's not officially, officially uh, Kevin Durant uh, free agent season, but since we have talked about it almost on every podcast uh, uh, at rates where maybe people don't want to talk about it anymore, it's hard to ignore. It's about to happen. We now have reports coming out of that he's going to, that the Warriors are going to make a serious run for him. This is Mark Stein of ESPN, who's well-sourced. Uh, there was our, our good friend Frank. Actually, not a good friend. I can't stand him. Frank Aziola, Aziola, whatever his name is. He writes a whole article about how Durant's going to make decisions in L.A. He's going to take some meetings. Uh, nowhere in his article does it mention the Washington Wizards. Stein's article, I don't think, mentions the Washington Wizards whatsoever either. It pretty much seemed to me that he was either going to stay in Oklahoma City or the Warriors are going to make a legit run at Kevin Durant and that he was interested and intrigued, uh, kind of into window from these sources. I assume the Wizards will get a meeting here in, in, in L.A., but Rashad, these are not good reports for our, the, the KD to D.C. holdouts like myself, uh, the pixel makers, and also just a fan. At this point... The Wizards' plans and all this cap space and the players available depress me at times. I don't think they have a plan B when it comes to Kevin Durant. So plan A seems where it all is. Am I reading too much into this? Am I looking too negatively? Or or is it just the reality of the situation is finally upon us that, yeah, he has no intentions of really coming to D.C. And we can't even get a random-ass report. I can't even get someone some random-ass... I saw his mama down at the store. Someone overheard someone down in, you know, Prince George's County. Somebody knows somebody that works for someone saying Durant's going to come here or, or just anything, Rashad. I can't get nothing. Nothing, dude. Well, first off, when I hear that somebody's going to take a meeting, the first thing I thought about was Don Drake. <laughs> uh, that's number one. But, I, you know... I heard a story that Brian Windhorst told on your favorite on the Tony Kornheiser show the other day, and he was saying that LeBron always thought he was going to go back to Cleveland later in his career, but during the NBA lockout, when he stayed in Akron, he worked out in Akron, 
is when he first gave some serious thought to going back a little sooner because he was like, I like this. I'm at home with my kids and with my wife. I get the love of Akron and Cleveland. You know, I really want to go back. And so I don't think that Durant necessarily has that overwhelming nostalgia with D.C., but it just goes to show you that some of the factors that go into a player choosing a team aren't things that he's necessarily going to verbalize. I mean, we didn't, we had no idea LeBron was going to do that. He caught everyone off guard. So you just, you just never know what LeBron, I mean, what Katie was thinking as LeBron won a title for his hometown. Was he thinking that this is something I can do for DC? Was he thinking, I don't even like DC like that? We just, we just don't know. So, you know, during the regular season, up until LeBron won, I was 100% sure that KD was not coming here because I just listened to respected writers like David Aldridge say he's not coming here. They don't have any, uh, the Wizards don't have the facilities. They just don't have what it takes to lure him. Now, I think everything is fair game. I think right now, on June 22nd, Cleveland, I mean, uh, um, Golden State and OKC are in the lead, but if anything, last offseason taught us not to count out the Spurs, because they swooped in and got Alders last year, LaMarcus Alders. So, if if the Spurs and the Golden State Warriors come to Durant and say, we want you, we don't know that he's automatically going to choose the Warriors. So, I say all that to say I'm not giving up on KD to DC. I don't know what's going through his mind. I think he's being purposely vague and coy about what he's going to do. The fact that he's taking meetings in Los Angeles doesn't mean much because he works out in LA. I mean, Wall worked out in LA sometimes. I mean, I, I don't I don't read too much into that. All I know is we have a chance. Maybe not a good chance, but there's a small chance he can still come here. Um, I still think he's going to end up in OKC, but I, I'm not going to just write him off completely. I you know. I- I'm glad you, you gave me a little bit more hope there, Rashad. I appreciate that. One more topic before we leave. We're, we're going to have plenty of time to go into this, but I'm just going to mention, I'm going to give you a bunch of options of players for, for free agents, uh, random, random bunch. You tell me yes, no, maybe for the Wizards and any commentary you would like. All right, let's start with Aaron Afalo. Yes. I would like Aaron to follow, but I would want him to come off the bench. Dirk. I'm not even taking that. Dirk wasn't come here. There's no chance. <laughs> uh, Noah. You know, I, and we talked about this offline. I'm, I'm on the fence about him. I think that Noah does for what Noah does for defense is what Nene did for offense. But they have the same, the common denominator is injuries. And I just don't know. Like, Noah isn't like Derek Rose where he got injured young and he kept, you know, had nagging injuries. Like, Noah is older. He has a lot of mileage. He plays extremely hard. And I don't have 100% faith that you could get maximum effort from him because he's an offensive liability. Uh, if he's not completely healthy and he can't crash the boards and be a, a Tristan Thompson, he's a liability on offense, and that's not really a player you want. So I would I would say no, no. A finals heel, Harrison Barnes from Ames, Iowa, the Black Falcon. No, 
Oh, that's his name? Is that a thing? No, that's Black Falcon? Yeah, the nickname, his nickname is the Black Falcon. He, did, he had a symbol when he was like 18, the Black Falcon. I can't even make that up. <laughs> that's, that's, that's unfortunate. Yeah, that, but, it's Google. No. It's Google. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, I always hear how nice of a kid he is, and that, that's great. I, I love I you for the draft workouts. He was very... He went to the museum in his, in his off, off time. I was like, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> I, I just don't know if the Wizards can afford to get a player who is, is wishy-washy and looks like a head case sometimes. I mean, he played well with Steph and, and Clay at times, and other times you're wondering what the hell was going on. So I, I wouldn't mind getting him, but I wouldn't paid a whole lot for him. I wouldn't pay as much money as he's probably going to command. Okay, yeah, so I, um, when I say all these, just you one person let's just say... You didn't um, mention, yeah, I'm, I'm not done yet, but keep going. No, one person who you didn't mention who I would love, who we probably have no chance of getting is Al Horford. Yes, I was about I to just say think he would, he, would be, he, would, he would just be perfect. I mean, he can. He has shown in the past couple of years he's developed a three-point shot. He plays hard. He's a great defender. You can put him at the five. I mean, it's just... He's he's a, he's a great player, and again, I don't know why he would want to come to the Wizards, but that's that would be the player, even more so than Abaka. And I and you sent me a link on this, or yes. not even a rumor, just kind of a passing interest that you know Abaka could come here, and Abaka is good, but Al Horford is just uh, I feel like Abaka plays well with Durant and Westbrook. I don't know if you took him away. from if you took him away from those two, how good of a player he would be. Al Horford is going to be good no matter what. He just plays hard. He has an outside shot, and he's a great defender. So that he is on my short list. If we can't get Durant, you know what? If we sign Horford and Harrison Barnes, I, I would be happy. Okay, uh, how about Chandler Parsons, who just opted out of his contract today? No, no, he hasn't been consistent since he left Houston, so no. Kent Bazemore. And also, when I say these things, we got also, I'm assuming this is market rate to get them. Because obviously you'd say, oh yeah, I'll take all of them for cheap. No, no, no. It's going to be market rate for all these all these players, which is going to be a high market rate, right? Yeah. Bazemore, I would absolutely sign because he can shoot. And he can shoot off a fast break. I mean, he did it last year with T and, and, and Schroeder. So I would absolutely sign him. The number two pick in the 2010 draft, Mr. Evan Turner. You know, <laughs> if that was an option, I would, I would, I would totally jump. Eighty million, on. I mean, eighty million, sixty million. <laughs> again, you can defend through different positions, right? Not, if we do not get Durant, getting Evan Turner is not a bad option. I mean, he can play one, two, three. He can defend. I mean, he's he's disruptive. That's that's. That's, that's the kind of pick that's not appealing to fans. But if you look at what he's done for Boston, he's, he's, he's a great Bill player. Sem- Bill, compet- Simmons, Bill Simmons raves about him on the Celtics. Because he's competitive as hell. He can run the point. He can defend. He has a mean streak. I mean, I, if you lower the expectations and realize he's not the number two pick in the draft and you're just picking him up as a serviceable player, he's great. Okay, if, they don't I mean, get, if, somebody, if, they, if they don't get Horford... They don't throw money at Evan Turner or Harrison Barnes. What about Nick Batum? Would you have put Nick Batum after Horford as the top free agent? 
prospect? I would. Wizards? He's a solid player. He's a proven player. I would. I, I wouldn't mind Nick Batum, but for a hundred million, I would want Harrison Barnes. I want Harrison Barnes over Batum. You want Harrison Barnes over Batum. Okay. And last but not least, and maybe least, before I let you go here, Mr. Dwight Howard. <laughs> to quote the fine lyrical rapper Cameron, he's Terry Cloth. That means he's very soft. I do not want him here. I just, I don't... Look, I think that Dwight Howard has back issues. I think that when I watched him play in Houston, you could just see that he can no longer do the things that you want him to do. The only thing, the only way I would want him is if he would accept a, me, you know, not not a big contract, just an affordable contract. And I think we all know that Dwight Howard is looking for his last big contract. Even his relationship with Cortop couldn't get him to take less money. So no. No, if we, if we could get him at a at a cheap price, I would love to have him as a starter who would play 15, 20 minutes a game. But, let's, let's, I mean, he just walked away from $23 million a year to get another contract. He's looking for something big. And I'm not giving Dwight Howard a max deal when he has not shown the ability to be dominant in quite some time. So, no. I don't really have Al Horford. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't like Dwight Howard's uh, attitude or his leadership. I think that he... I think his reputation has taken a hit, and he has actually played better than his reputation. But he's not the dominant Dwight Howard that we saw in Orlando. And trading Gort, I think Gortat is just as serviceable at this point. And you're not going to get peak Dwight Howard, and it doesn't really solve the Wizards' issues. So I'm out on Dwight Howard. I one thing I want to mention before I leave, Rashad, uh, uh, Kevin Durant came out with some new Nikes. I forgot to mention this, and uh, there was a red, white, and blue shoe. One of them that he came out with. Uh, someone tweeted at me and said that this is a good sign. <laughs> what do you think? That just means he's patriotic. <laughs> he's, getting, he's getting ready. He's, <laughs> he wants the Bolts name back. What if you say Kevin Durant, come back, we'll give you the Bolts name. We're ready to go. Hell, I'll put his mom on uh, the staff. I, I'll let his mom be the liaison. She can be uh, more than Wale has, who you know shows up at the, at the Cavs finals game. What, what's up with that? Behind the bench. Yeah, we don't we don't acknowledge Wally. No, yeah. I don't. We don't acknowledge him. How, how do you, how do you go from the championship belt when we sweep the, the Raptors last year to now the Cavs game? You're behind the bench, and he was winning a Redskins chain, which excited some fans on Twitter. But Rashad, thank you so much. I know I took you past your time. I got, you got to get uh, finishing your wine. But great conversation, dude. Uh, we'll we'll be back. Any any party. Any parting thoughts? Anything you ha- you have to say to the people? Anything to look forward to here in NBA draft? Or you just hit refresh on your browsers, waiting for more, chomping for more news. I would have two bits of advice. Number one, don't give up on KD to DC because you never know. And number two, do not fall with a fake woes. <laughs> yes, yes, fake woes. Had me Jimmy Butler in Miami. He had me the fake woes bombs and their and their <laughs> vertical sources. Don't believe anything you say on the internet, especially uh, from my from my account, Rashad. But thank you, thank you, dude. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Hopefully, some of this was uh, informational, uh, informative for you, and thoughtful. Uh, I try to be as 
I try to keep it real here uh, and entertaining, and you laughed a few times. I'm still laughing at uh, Rashad's uh, <laughs> Will Bond black man uh, Tony Brown analytical quote. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to pe- peel that out and, and use that. <laughs> use that some more for those not knowing. That was a good jab uh, of a piece, a terrible piece that Will Bond uh, wrote for the uh, Undefeated, which is a pretty good website there that ESPN has launched. Uh, a good friend, Clinton Yates, writes for them. He's a good dude and writes some. Some funny, yes, cool, sir. informative stuff, so go check it out. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Definitely appreciate your support. Go read Kyle Weedai's piece on truthaboutit.net. And as always, go mother effing whiz. Peace out. Monsters in my head are scared of love